Welcome to today's edition of Awaken to Grace. I'm Chad Roberts, and today we are in a thrilling chapter of the Bible. We are studying Mark chapter 5, and in this incredible chapter, the Bible introduces us to three people who are desperate for Jesus. We first meet the man who is tormented by a legion of demons. And then we're going to meet a woman who for 12 years suffered in her body. She had a disease of the blood. And the Bible says she spent all she had. And instead of growing better, she grew all the worse. And then finally, we're going to meet a man named Jairus, who is the ruler of the synagogue. And he has a 12-year-old daughter who is going to die. And Jesus is going to give us a front row seat to his miracles. Oh, What an incredible chapter. I hope you're walking through the entire book of Mark with me. If you have missed any of these sermons, then go back on my mobile app. It is a completely free mobile app called Awakened to Grace. And when you download Awakened to Grace, you will literally have hundreds of free resources, just like the sermon you're about to hear today. So go back, start at the beginning, go through the entire book with us, and let's study God's Word together. Well, today we're in Mark chapter 5. Let's grow our faith together today. Let's begin. We're going to break this chapter into three sections. And as you know, I'm completely blind. So I will do my best to take us through these three sections. I love it. Oh, I love it when God gives me a preaching assignment of only one verse. But they are few and far between. <laughs> so I got a lot of real estate to cover today. So let's, uh, a lot of yardage to cover. So let's, let's jump right in. We're going to meet three people today who are desperate for the Lord. Number one, we're going to meet a man who who was tormented by demons. That is found in verses 1 through 20. In verse number 21, Jesus is going to cross the Sea of Galilee going back toward the west shore. Now he's in the east shore, and that's going to come into play. That's a significant fact to know. And when he gets back over to the west shore of the Sea of Galilee, he's going to meet a man named Jairus, who is the ruler of the synagogue. And we'll see that in verse 21. Uh, I'm sorry, verse 22. 22 and 23, we're going to see Jairus and his dilemma. His little girl is going to get sick and at the point of death, and he's going to ask Jesus to go touch her. On the way to Jairus' house, there is an interruption. And my aim today is to show you why I believe there is a parenthesis in this story. I believe that there is an eternal message that the Holy Spirit deposits into this text that is a lesson for all of eternity to the church of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to show you, God willing, why it is significant that there is a parenthesis, an interruption. Now, it's interesting, there are some parallels we're going to see at the end. This woman who we're going to meet, we don't know her name, but there are some parentheses between her and Jairus' daughter. The woman suffered with a blood disease. Now, note this in your Bible. She suffered for 12 
years. Do you know how old Jairus' daughter was? Twelve. Huh. I wonder if there's a link there. Twelve years, a blood issue with one woman. The little girl who is going to die is 12 years old. What's the parallel? We don't know either of their names, but what Jesus calls the woman with the blood issue, he calls her a daughter. What does Scripture say about Jairus? It is his what? Daughter. Is there a link? Two women, both 12, one 12 years old, one 12-year blood disease, and they're both called daughter. Why? We're going to discover that today. But before we get there, let's walk with Jesus onto the shores of the land that's called the land of the Gadarenes. Now, why was it called Gadarene? Because this was settled by the tribe of Dan. uh, I'm sorry, of the tribe of Gad. That's a whole other fascinating story. You can go back into the Old Testament. You can see how the tribe of Gad wanted to go east of the Jordan River. They went far out. The other tribes didn't want to go that far out, but they did. And they are on the border of the Gentile territory. Now that's significant to the story. And when we meet this man who is tormented by this legion of demons, it's going to be significant to understand the geography and that puts it into context for us. I want you to pay careful attention to verse number 7. I want you to note that it In verse 7, the demons recognize Jesus for who he is. What have we said throughout our study of the book of Mark? The book is really about the disciples trying to figure out who Jesus is. The pivotal point of the book is when Peter does his great confession. Jesus says, who do men say that I am? And they say several names, Elijah. Some say you're John the Baptist raised up. But no, Jesus says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter says, thou art the Christ. And when Peter makes that great confession, Jesus says, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my spirit. Friends, it's the same today. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, it's because God's spirit has revealed that to you. Amen. And while the disciples are scratching their heads, trying to figure out who Jesus is, he's having all these encounters with all these demons. And what do all the demons say? We know who you are. You are Jesus, the Son of God. You're the Holy One of Israel. And the disciples are going, wait, now who is he? It's fascinating. And if you're sensitive to that, you can feel the tension in the book. And you can feel the quest of the disciples. Remember last week when Jesus rebuked the wind and the disciples said, Who is this that even the wind and seas obey? And here are the demons going, Thou art the Son of God. It's fascinating to me. The whole point of the book is to bring you to a decision point. To bring me to a decision point. Are you going to follow Jesus As the son of God. Or was he just another man? Was he just a good teacher? Was he just a prophet? Was he just someone who did miracles? Or was he the very son of God? The book leads us to a decision point. So Jesus steps onto the shore of this troubled area. 
Let's understand what's going on. If you're going to take notes today, let me give you a few notes about what I think God wants us to know concerning demons in this text. You know, it stuns me how many Christians either do not believe in demons or they do not take things that are demonic serious. And let me tell you what I extract from this text. What I get from this text, if you're going to take notes, number one, that the Bible would have us take demons and things that are demonic, things of darkness, God would have us take them literal and serious. Literal and serious. Demons were prevalent in the time of Christ. And my friends, nothing has changed. They're mightily prevalent today. And not only are we fighting hell against a godless culture and a wicked and a perverse generation. Friends, let me tell you, this culture is steeped in the demonic. Now, come on now. Somebody get up with me right now. Are you with me? You with me right now? My kids are probably just like your kids. And they love cartoons and they love Disney movies and all this other stuff. But let me tell you, there are a lot of demonic, wicked, witchcraft things coming out of Disney. My kids were watching something the other, I don't, I don't know what, I can't remember the name of the movie, but it was about uh, a father that had died and the two sons were bringing him back to life, doing incantations, summoning his spirit. Friends, that's witchcraft. And you know what we're doing? Whether intentionally or whether unintentionally, we are opening the door to the enemy into our homes and into our children. And let me tell you how you ought to view things of the demonic. Here is how your perception ought to be. If someone were to walk down to this altar today and they were to say, Lord Jesus, I give you my life and I open my heart to you. Come into my life. What's going to happen? The Holy Spirit's going to come. Why? Because they've yielded themselves. They've surrendered themselves to the Lord. They've opened the door to the Lord, right? If any man opens, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if any man opens, I'll come and I'll dine with him. Is the opposite not true? If an unsaved person opens their life to demonic things, will the demonic not come? If they open their life, Ouija boards, tarot cards, horoscopes, Wicca. This is witchcraft. It is satanic. It is demonic. Why do you think that someone can go, let's say someone goes to a palm reader. And that person summons up a dead relative. Let's say a grandmother. And that dead relative speak through that sorcerer. How do you think that happens? Have you ever heard the term familiar spirits? You know what that is? That's generational. That is family. That is the demonic knowing the family background and communicating. It's wickedness. 
It's witchcraft. And it's prevalent down to our very cartoons. Huh. Jesus walks onto the shore and he meets a man tormented by demons. Friends, I can't tell you how many people I've counseled, how many people I've prayed with, that their life is tormented by demons. Their mind, their soul. And see what happens. I was counseling a young man not long ago who was tormented by demons. And the doctors were trying to give him all this medication that would numb him. But see, the problem was not, the problem was not here. The problem was in his soul. You can't take medicine for a soul issue. You understand what I'm saying? And the man, the young man was sitting on my couch. You know, I'm blind as a bat, but I see a lot of things. I'm sharing the gospel with him. He hears voices that tell him to harm himself. To kill himself, to take his life. Friends, that's demonic. And I said, is there something speaking to you right now? He said, something screaming in my ear that you're a liar. I said, then my friend, that ought to tell you there's truth being told to you. And Satan's trying to prevent it. Friends, if... Demons were prevalent in Jesus' day. Don't you dare think they're not prevalent today. Okay? Now, the good news is we know how to deal with them. Let's watch what happens. So, verse 7, this man who's tormented. And, and, and let me just say this. If you're somebody that you're tormented in your life, you're tormented today, and you think, could there be something like that going on with me? You know, it's very possible that somewhere in your past you could have intentionally or unintentionally opened a door to these things. It could be things way back in your family lineage, way back that have passed on through, through your family line. Let me tell you something. I'd be more than glad to sit down with you and pray with you and shut the door on these things. Amen? You're not alone. We know how to deal with this stuff. Now, a lot of people read this, and one of the first questions they ask, can a saved person be possessed by demons? Let me tell you, the Holy Spirit is not going to be roommates with some demon. <laughs> Amen? You know what happens when you get born again? You become a new creation in Christ. The old passes away, and the, everything becomes new. Amen? But that doesn't mean that Satan won't cause struggles in your life. That doesn't mean that they're not family things from the past that you need to sever and you need to break off and you need to renounce and you need to shut the door on. And let me tell you, we can most certainly help you do that. So Jesus steps onto the shore. This man, tormented by demons, comes and falls at his feet. And the Bible would have us take this very real, very literal, very serious. And Jesus says, what is your name? They say, Legion, for we are many. And Jesus casts them out. Now, something interesting happens. 
Jesus cast them out. Now, listen, do you realize this culture so prevalent? But do you realize we have the authority to cast demons out? Do you realize that? Last night we were at Hunger First, and as we are every Saturday night, feeding. And we're feeding, and Daniel Roberts gets ready to pray, and a lady starts making a commotion. And when I say a commotion, I'm talking like, you know, a racket. You know, not like just talking loud. I mean, something else going on, right? What do you do in those times? What do you do? My spirit, while Daniel was praying, I just said, Lord, help that lady. And whatever, listen, any demonic activity, you'd be muzzled in the name of Jesus. And just all of a sudden, quiet. Interesting. Isn't that interesting? See, church, this isn't anything weird. This isn't any, This was an average day in the life of Jesus. And you know what? As, as things that are demonic, let, let me tell you. When they encounter the things of God, you don't have to be scared. You don't have to be frightened. Greater is he who is in you than he that is in the world. And you know what you do? You just, you just say, no, I resist you in Jesus' name. I shut the door in Jesus' name. You're done. Go. Finish. Go in Jesus' name. It's simple as that. Why? Because it's not your authority. It's his authority. Amen. Now, you think about this. If a police officer here in town steps on, what's one of the busiest roads? Stone Drive. If a police officer steps into the middle of Stone Drive in uniform and goes like that, what are cars going to do? Now, isn't that interesting? They're going to stop. Now, could a car mow him down? Oh, sure. In his flesh, in his strength, could he stop traffic? No. A police officer would be no match for a vehicle. So why do you suppose the cars stop? Because he has authority. He has been given authority by our city government to literally, with one hand, that man can stop traffic, even though all he is is flesh and bone. Am I making sense to anybody right now? And that's why when there are things that you encounter, when there are things that, that uh, and, and, and let, let me tell you, see, again, you've you got to have spiritual eyes to see this stuff. You remember in Las Vegas, you remember when that horrible massacre happened that that man shot all those people? You remember that a few years ago? And, and I remember the media that nobody could figure out the motive. I'll tell you the motive. It was demonic. Evil does not need a reason. Evil doesn't need a motive. And when you see things that are evil, when you see things that aren't quite right, let me tell you, you have the authority in the name of the Lord to say, be muzzled. Stop your activity in Jesus' name. That's our authority, amen? And we deal with it all the time. So Jesus, he cast them out. Now something odd happens. They request that they would go into a herd of pigs. And then something even more odd happens. Jesus grants them permission. They go into this herd of swine. They go over the embankment and they drown in the Sea of Galilee. Wow. What a dramatic thing. 
You know what I've never understood as many years as I've read this text? I've never understood why there were a herd of 2,000 pigs in Israel. I never understood it because pigs are not kosher and they were unclean and Jews wouldn't have had anything to do with pigs. What I discovered, this is on the border of Gentile territory. These, God's people were raising pigs to sell to the Gentiles. This whole area was out of order. This whole area was unclean. Here demons are running wild. They're tormenting this man. He's living in the tombs, a live man living among the dead. And now they got this swine or this herd of 2,000 swine. and Everything's flipped up on its head. Friends, let me tell you, that's just like our culture today. Look around. Watch the news. Everything is out of order. And when the people of God show up and when we start to pray and we start to fast with authority, then things get set into order. Amen. Amen. And there are people all over our city who are bound and they're shackled by the enemy and they're tormented in their mind and they're tormented in their heart and they're tormented in their soul. And listen, God's given us the authority to set them free. But these things only come through prayer and fasting. That's it. And would we be content to just sing our songs? And would we be content to just drink our coffee and have church as normal and go through the religious motions when Satan has bound so many lives and suicide and mental illness is on like a rampage throughout our culture? Will we be content to let people just Slip off into hell. No, not me. I can't do business as usual. I can't do church as usual. God's calling us to press in. God's calling us to a higher level, a higher realm of where God wants to work in people's lives. And today we're going to see exactly, I believe, what God desires. So Jesus cast them out. That's what you and I are to do. We're to cast it out. We're to not put up with Satan's plots. We're to not put up with his activities. We're to take authority over it and cast them out. Now, verse 20, the man remarkably, look, look at verse 15. Listen, this man cut himself with rocks. He was a cutter. He, he harmed himself and these demons were telling him to kill himself. And this man was tormented, tormented, and no one could help him. Nobody had the answers. No one could rescue him. No one could help him or save him until Jesus walked into his life. And so it is today. People try this and they try that. And until they meet the master, they're not going to get the help that they need. Oh, how we need to be introducing people to the Lord Jesus Christ. And now, look. I want you to look at verse 15. People began coming. People started tweeting out. Not really, they didn't have that back then. But word spread really fast. And crowds began to gather. And they saw this man who had been so tormented. And look at verse 15. He was sitting, clothed, and in his right mind. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Verse 19, he wants to go with Jesus. But Jesus tells him, no, stay here. Tell what the Lord's done for you. And look at verse 20. 
And he went all over the region saying what God had done for him. Friends, you ought to be telling your testimony. Some of you, God rescued out of the pit of hell. Some of you, God rescued you out of a spirit of suicide. And you need to be telling others who are dealing with suicide how God set you free. Some of you know the torment of the enemy and God made you a new creation. God took you out of the miry pit and he set you up on a solid rock and you ought to be telling others how God did it. And you ought to be telling people, if God did it for me, God can most certainly do it for you. Share your story. Craft your story. Let the gospel be heard and seen in your life. That God may be glorified and other people may be rescued to the glory of Jesus. Amen. Now, verse 21. You know, Jesus damaged the economy. These 2,000 pigs were a big part of their economy. God's people raising ungodly things. Boy, isn't that just like our generation today? God's people involved in all kinds of wickedness and uncleanness. And Jesus hurt their wallets. And they tell him to leave. I want you to think about that. Instead of rejoicing that a man who they were all afraid of, no one could subdue him, chains couldn't work, he cut himself with rocks, and God saved him. And instead of rejoicing, they told Jesus, go away. Because they loved their money. So Jesus gets into his boat. Now they sail west, and they're going to go to the west side of the shore. Verse 21, now verse 22, we meet an interesting man. His name is Jairus. You know, so rare does the Bible tell us names. And normally it just says a man, a man or a woman, as we see today, the woman with the blood disease. And the Bible tells his name, Jared. Now, why was he a ruler of the synagogue? A synagogue, you know, they worshiped and sacrificed in the temple. But a synagogue, as it is today in Jewish religion, a synagogue is a house of teaching. It's a house of scripture reading and And the way that you would start a synagogue, you had to have 10 men come together. We would call it today like a board of directors. And you have 10 men who come together. They pull the resources together and they establish a synagogue. And out of those 10 men, you would choose a leader or a ruler. In our culture today, we would call it the chairman. So essentially, Jairus was the chair of the rulers or the board of directors of the synagogue. He was the chairman. He was the ruler. A very high position, a very honored position. And he puts that to the side, and he comes to Jesus. And in verse 22, he says, my little girl is at the point of death. Will you come and will you touch her and heal her? Verse 23, Jesus begins to make his way, and the Bible says he's pressed by a great crowd. Now, I want you to think about this, church. I want you to think what's going on right here. Jesus is dealing with hurting people. Now think about this. We're talking about a day that if you suffered a disease, you didn't have hospitals like we have today. You did not have clinics. You did not have advanced medicines or advanced science or technology. You didn't have the universities of Vanderbilt. You didn't have Wake Forest and Duke and UVA. And you didn't have these places of advanced medicine that you could go. And you didn't have treatment programs. And you didn't have powerful drugs. You didn't have any of this stuff. 
And I want you to imagine how desperate someone would feel that they are dying in their body and they've heard the report. If you just, if Jesus will touch you, you will be healed. I want you to think of the desperation of people. And not only are you dealing with people of diseases, you're dealing with demon-possessed people. Look at the man, look how many times in Mark he, he encounters the demoniac. I mean, I want you to picture in your mind this massive crowd, and they're all trying to touch Jesus. This is a dangerous situation. The gospel, some, they at times use the word crushed. That he, Jesus was almost crushed by the press of the crowd. Everyone is trying to get to him. Everyone's trying to touch him. And people are desperate. This is a dangerous situation. And everywhere he goes, crowds are following. And he starts to make his way to Jairus' house when all of a sudden a woman presses her way through the crowd, and something remarkable happens. She says in her heart, listen, God put faith in this woman's heart. We don't know her name, but God put faith in her heart. And she said in her heart, because she had heard, read it in Mark, she had heard the reports about Jesus. And God put faith in her heart, and she said, if I could just touch his garments. Now, the other gospels give us some insight. What she meant was the fringe the tassels, the blue line of the bottom of his garment. Now, why is that significant? You want to learn something right now? Let's learn God's word together. If you're going to take notes, I want you to carefully note this. The hem of a Jewish garment was highly significant. Now, in our culture today, think about this. Think about military. Think about law enforcement. We wear... Our um, badges, rank is a good word. We wear our rank on our clothing, right? Think of a military general. Think of all of their rank that they would wear right there. Think of uh, the sleeve, how you, you, know, you can look and tell a sergeant in law enforcement or you can tell you know, all of these different rank by their sleeve, right? We put our pedigree, we put our notoriety, we put our rank on our garments. We even do it in our day. In Jesus' day, they did this on the hem of the garment. Why? you got to go back to Numbers chapter 15. At the end of Numbers 15, God gives specific instructions. He says, put tassels on the bottom of the garments and put a blue line through the... Fringe. Now, why does that matter? The blue line through the fringe. Well, what they would do in these days is whatever your rank was in society or whatever your pedigree was or whatever your family lineage was, there would be special stitching along the hem of the garment. Now, listen to this. This is fascinating. A man could divorce his wife by cutting the hem of the garment. Do you know what he was saying symbolically? You're cut off from the family. Terrible thing. It goes even deeper in 1 Samuel chapter 24. See, I never realized this. When Saul goes into the cave trying to hunt and kill David, do you remember the story in 1 Samuel 24? Saul goes into a cave, and unbeknownst to him, it is the same cave that David and his men are in the inner part. 
And David's men says, here we go, David. The Lord has given Saul into your hand. Kill him now. And do you remember what David said? He's the Lord's anointed. It's not my place. So do you remember what David does? David cuts what Scripture says, the corner of his robe. Do you know what David cut? The hem of his garment. Saul's asleep. David cuts the hem. David sneaks off to a tall hill and he wakes Saul up and he shows him the hem of his garment. And he says, the Lord gave you into my hand and I could have killed you, but you are the Lord's anointed. And the Lord smote David's heart. The Lord convicted David of just cutting the corner of his robe. Do you know why? Because what David did, he interfered with Saul's lineage. The lineage was sewn into the hem. And that's why Saul, when he realized it, yells to David, Swear to me, you will not cut off my offspring. When I'm dead. Because David cut the hem. Very significant. So the woman says to herself. If I could just touch the fringe. If I could just touch the robe. I know I would be made well. And so here is another crowd. Just like the problem with the paralytic man in chapter 2. Here's another throng of people. And what does she do? She presses her way toward the master. She touches him. And what does the Bible say? Fascinating. The Bible says immediately, there's our word, ethos in the Greek. Immediately Jesus perceives that power goes out from him. And Jesus looks around and says, who touched me? And the disciples, boy, aren't they always saying the wrong things? And the disciples go, how can you say who touched me? There's a throng of people. I mean, people are desperate. It's dangerous. They're crushing him. And he goes, how can you say who touched me? And Jesus said, no, someone touched me differently. And the Bible says he looked around. Now, why do you suppose it says he looked around? Do you think that Jesus really didn't know who touched him? Absolutely not. You know how I know Jesus knew who touched him? Because do you remember when he told Nathaniel to follow him? Remember what Jesus told him? You were sitting underneath a fig tree. And Nathaniel said that's when he knew he was the son of God. Now there's way more to that than meets the eye. I can't wait to get to heaven and say, Nathaniel, tell me what happened underneath that fig tree. Because you know what I think was going on? I think Nathaniel was having a moment with God that he was laying down his life. He was surrendering his life. He was saying, God, will you use me? God, I yield myself. I give myself to you. I think he had a moment with God that Jesus said, I heard every word you said, and here's what you told God. Something major was going on. And Nathaniel said, you're the son of God. Nobody else would have known that. So you don't think Jesus didn't know who touched him? Oh, he well knew who touched him. But you know what he did? He gave this woman an opportunity. And look what the... Oh, thank God. Hallelujah. The Bible says this woman came to the Lord with fear and trembling. And she knelt before him. And, and listen to the language. And she told Jesus the whole truth. Huh. Let me tell you, precious friend, today... 
you can tell Jesus all about it. You can tell him everything about your life. You can tell him all of your worst sins. You can tell him all of your horrible mistakes. You can tell him all about your regrets. You can tell him all about your past. You can tell him all about your fear. You can tell him everything that troubles you, every anxiety that you face, every fear you have. Let me tell you, you can tell Jesus all of it. Amen. And why didn't Jesus go, oh, it was you? Because Jesus forever set an example that you can come to Jesus and you can tell him the whole truth of the matter. Amen. Isn't that precious? And then Jesus tells this woman, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go and be healed. And the Bible says immediately that blood issue, that discharge of blood, that plague, that disease of her blood, immediately it dried up and she was made whole. Amen. Now the story doesn't end. In verse number 35, in verse number 35, the servants come to Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue, and they give him the worst possible news. Than anybody could ever hear. His daughter had died. I can't imagine that. I just can't imagine. We've ministered to many people who've lost children. And it doesn't matter if it's an infant, an adolescent, a young adult, or a grown adult. When someone loses a child, it's the worst pain. And I can't imagine how Jairus felt. And... Again, listen, this is an eternal example. The servants tell Jairus, don't trouble the teacher any longer. Why do you think Scripture says that? Let me tell you why. It's to teach us, church, you never trouble Jesus with your problems. Never. You never annoy Jesus by going to him. Let me tell you, the devil would tell you, Run away. No, you run to the Lord. You don't run away from him. Amen. And in verse 37, Jesus tells him something quite remarkable. I can't imagine the emotion that Jairus felt. I can't imagine how his heart broke. He put his reputation on the line. He put his good name on the line. He put his high position in society on the line to go to the master to find help for his daughter. And I can't imagine how his heart broke when he heard the words, it's too late, your daughter has died. She was only 12 years old. And you know what Jesus says in verse 37? He said something so contrary to our nature. Jesus looks at Jairus and says, Do not fear, only believe. The tense in the original Greek of the word believe is literally keep on believing. Don't lose your faith. Friends, let me tell you, faith is the currency of heaven. Are you rich today toward God? Or are you poor toward God? Is your faith great? Or is your faith small? And he looks at Jairus and he says, only believe, don't, don't be afraid. Only believe. Can you imagine telling a parent who lost a child, don't be troubled. 
Don't be afraid. Stunning words. Verse 40, they make it to Jairus' house. And already the professional mourners are there. That was part of Jewish culture. And this day, they literally had professional mourners who would come and comfort, comfort the family. And the mourners had already showed up. These were people that death was their job. Death was their occupation. And Jesus arrives on the scene. And you know what Jesus tells them? The little girl, she's just asleep. You know what unbelief does? Unbelief mocks God. Unbelief laughs at God. And you know what all these people did that day? Look at it, verse 40. They laughed at Jesus Christ. Oh, You know, sometimes when I think about the sufferings of Jesus, when I think about the agony of Jesus, I think about the Garden of Gethsemane and the great swat, uh, drops of blood. I think about the stripes, the lashes that had bone and it had sharp rock in the lashes. And as the lashes went across his back and wrapped around his rib cage and they would jerk it back, it would tear chunks of flesh out. I think about the crown of thorns that they took a rod and they beat the crown of thorns into his skull. I think about the nails that they drove into his hands and his feet. I think about the spear into it. Oh, all the sufferings of Jesus. But do you know what I often don't think about? The suffering of his earthly ministry. Then what was it for Jesus to have his very creation laugh at him? The very ones that he created, the very ones that he knit together in the mother's womb, the very ones that he created their destiny, the very ones that he spoke into existence to have his creation mock and laugh at his face. And they laughed at Jesus. They laughed at him. And you know what Jesus did? Verse 40, he put them all out of the house. Took them all outside. You know why he did that? He was getting unbelief out of the room. Unbelief out. Next week in chapter 6, we're going to see that when Jesus was back in his hometown, he could not do mighty works. And you know why he could not do them? Not because of any demon. Demons were no problems for Jesus. They were no issue whatsoever for the Son of God. He had no problem out of any demon. He just cast them out. But do you know what shut down the work of Jesus? Unbelief. Read it. It's in chapter 6. We'll be there next week. Unbelief. And he got unbelief out of the house. And then he does something remarkable in verse 41. And I think this is a word for our church. I think this is what God is doing in our body. We had Brother Ehab here from the Middle East um, a couple of years ago. And he spoke this word to our church. And I believe it that God is right now doing this in our midst. In the inner room where this little girl was lying, lifeless, dead, her spirit detached, she had died. Jesus does the most remarkable thing. He takes Peter, James, and John. That was his inner circle. He don't let everybody go in. He takes Peter, James, and John. And I love this. He takes mom and dad. I picture 
Jairus. Oh, that dear brother. Oh, I can't wait to meet him in heaven one day. And I picture him sobbing uncontrollably. I picture him trying with all of his might to believe because the master told him to believe. But I picture his heart breaking into a million pieces. And I picture holding his wife and I picture them in the corner of the room. And I picture him telling her, I don't know what he's going to do, but he's going to do something. Believe. And I picture him just sobbing. And no one else was allowed in the room. Friends, let me tell you, God is about to take our church into the inner room. God is about to take us into another realm. I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit told me yesterday morning, Chad, I'm about to step your church into another realm. And I said, God, what realm are you talking about? And the Holy Spirit forcefully, with one word, said miracles. That's the realm. And it only comes through prayer and fasting. And God's about to take us into the inner realm. And not everybody's going to be able to go. Some of you have unbelief in your life. Some of you have unbelief in your heart. And I don't really know why you're here. I don't know if you just like the coffee. I don't know if you just like the entertainment. I don't know if you just like how it makes you feel. But I'm telling you, God is calling us to get unbelief out of our life. Why? So that God can move in ways that we have never seen God move. And God is about to take our church into the inner room. And we, like mom and dad, we're going to have a front row seat to the miraculous. Amen. And we're going to see salvations. And we're going to see healings. And we're going to see deliverances. And we're going to see miracles to the glory of God. Amen. Amen. But unbelief has got to go. Unbelief has to go outside the house. And here they are in the room. Peter, James, John, mom and dad. And Jesus takes the hand of this little girl, this lifeless hand. This dead, lifeless hand. And you know what Jesus says? Talithokumi. Now remember, Mark is writing his gospel to the Romans. The Romans did not know Jewish culture, and neither did they know Aramaic. So John, John Mark, he helps us here. He tells us the Aramaic. He tells us the translation. What did Jesus say? Talithokumi. Little girl... Arise. And the Bible says she got up and began to walk. Unbelievable. Friends, let me tell you, Jesus is sovereign over every danger and calamity. He's sovereign over every demon on this earth. And he's sovereign over every disease within our body. And he is sovereign over death itself. Amen. Christ is sovereign. So what's the point? Well, can I have a couple more moments to teach? Now let's make a link right now. How many years did the woman suffer with the blood issue? Twelve. How old was the little girl? Twelve. Now something's going on here. The Holy Spirit's telling us something. There's a link here. Seven 
is often the number of the church. Seven lampstands, seven letters to seven churches in Revelation, seven angels, seven spirits of God. It's, it's all, it's, seven is often the number of the New Testament Gentile church. But 12 is the number of the kingdom. So throughout Israel's history, from the very beginning, with the 12 sons of Jacob, which became the 12 tribes of Israel, all the way to the new Jerusalem of the future, the number 12 is prevalent. You have the 12 tribes of Israel. You have the 12 apostles. You have 12 parables of the kingdom. You have 12 gates. The New Jerusalem, you have 12 foundations. I mean, just on and on and on. You have 12,000 redeemed out of the 12 tribes of Israel, right? In Revelation. 12 all through there. Something's happening here. Now, scholars, some scholars believe, and this is speculation, so don't take this too far, but I think it's interesting. Some scholars believe that this woman with the blood issue was a Gentile. The reason that they believe she was a Gentile is because she pressed her way through the crowd. A Jew probably would not have done that. She was unclean and probably would not. So scholars think she would have been a Gentile. If that is the case, what's the Lord saying? Here the Lord is on his way to raise Jairus' daughter. He's on his way to rescue this 12-year-old daughter. But there's a parenthesis. There's an interruption. If it is true that she was a Gentile, which again is speculation, but this is very interesting. If that is true, then what could the Holy Spirit be saying to us? Who did Jesus come from? Or, or, or I'm sorry, who did Jesus come to? He came to his own and his own received him not. To the Jew. But to as many as did believe, that's us, the Gentile, to them gave he the right to become what? Sons and daughters of God. Could it be that this woman represents us, the Gentile church? Could it be that the parenthesis in God's plan of redemption is us who suffers a disease of sin that only the blood of Jesus can cure? Remember, she spent all she had on what? Physicians. But grew worse, none the better. It's interesting to me. As a matter of fact, I think it's comical. You realize that Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke, was a medical doctor, right? Do you know what Luke says in his Gospel? He basically says it was an incurable disease. You know what he doesn't say? He doesn't throw physicians under the bus. John Mark didn't care. He threw the doctors underneath the bus. And I think that's kind of comical. I don't think there were any animosity between them. I just think it's funny. I have a friend who's an attorney and I always tell him, you know, 99% of you give the rest of you a bad name. <laughs> just comical. No one could help her but the Lord. But what does he call it? He calls her a daughter. And then after he heals her, then he goes on to complete the mission. Now, what's going to happen according to scriptures? Romans chapter 11, when the Gentile church is over, when the times of the Gentiles done, what, what did we learn that was, church? The, the, what, 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 what's my favorite Greek word? 
Harpazzo. Two families in the church had me t-shirt made that said Harpazzo. I got two t-shirts that says Harpazzo. I love it. When the time of the Gentile church is over, Romans 11, what's going to happen? God's going to go back to his original plan. The, the eyes of the Jews are going to be opened. And they're going to see the Messiah for who he is. And then all of redemption is going to be complete. Amen. But where are we now? We're in that parenthesis. We're in that Gentile bride. That Boaz taking the Moabite, the Gentile Ruth as his kinsman, redeemer. Amen. What a story. What a gospel. Friends, these people became desperate for Jesus. And as I close today, I want to ask you, are you desperate for the Lord? Whether you're a believer or a non-believer, are you desperate for the Lord to touch you? Whether you've been walking with God for decades or only a handful of weeks or days, are you desperate for Jesus? The Lord wants to touch you. He wants to intervene. He wants to help you. Will you open your heart to him right now? Some of you suffer. Some of you, Satan's trying to torment. Why? Ask yourself this question. Why is Satan tormenting me? Do you know why? Because he's trying to prevent you from coming to Jesus. But let me tell you, the Lord loves you. He knows you. He knitted you together in your mother's womb. And the Lord wants to change your life today. No demon in hell can keep you from coming to Jesus. Open your heart to him today. If you enjoyed today's broadcast and would like to hear more great content, you can always download our free mobile app, Awaken to Grace, where you can request prayer, find sermons, articles, blogs, music, podcast, as well as support us financially. You can also visit either of our websites at www.preachingchristchurch.com or www.awakentograce.com for more information about our church or our resource ministry. Thank you for listening to Awaken to Grace.